1: This is the John Oakley Show podcast. All right, we keep the discussion going with our roundtable group. John Turley-Ewart, risk management consultant specializing in capital markets, extensive experience on Bay and Wall Streets, Catherine Swift, former head of the Canadian Federation of Independent Business, now a current uh, or a spokesperson for the Working Canadians, and Ernie Eaves, former premier and finance minister. Hey, Ernie, I got to ask because, uh, you know, Doug Ford, Your party, the Conservatives, uh, being taken to task, actually being taken to court on the sex ed curriculum. We all know the story behind it. Uh, They reversed... Uh, direction on Kathleen Wynne introducing the sex ed curriculum in 2015 uh, because there were many social conservatives and parents that were concerned about some things not being age appropriate and so on and so forth so they wanted to hit the reset button amidst uh, a lot of consultation that they've conducted over the fall and uh, going forward they'll announce for next year uh, what the new curriculum will be but in the interim it's been challenged in court by uh, no fewer than two groups michael bryant is the exact director of the canadian civil liberties association and he says that this is a case of homophobia uh... plain and simple and uh... if the government's going to be homophobic with its curriculum you can bet the constitution will have something to say about that He thinks it's a human rights or a constitutional issue. Sam Hammond, who heads the Elementary Teachers Federation of Ontario, uh, in concert says, students who have the right to be taught a current curriculum that stresses safety and inclusivity, so the safety component of it, and teachers being able to teach a curriculum in an equitable, diverse, and inclusive way, do you see this as a legitimate human rights complaint?
0: I don't think either one of these parties has much chance of success in the courts, but I've been fooled before <laughs> by, by court decisions. I mean, it's not You're right, in my opinion. Uh, I, look, the elected government of the day has every right to determine what the curriculum is. And unless it's going out of its way, you know, to be racist or picking on one particular group in society and being intolerant and, uh, uh, you know, offending somebody's rights under the Constitution or the Bill of Rights, I don't think that uh, they have much chance of success. I will say that if you're going to change the curriculum, fine, there may be some things in there. There may well be some things that need tweaking with with respect to age-appropriate things that are taught at particular grade levels. That's all fine and dandy, but I I'm not a big fan of suspending everything going back to 1996 and telling you a year from now what we're going to do. I don't think that helps anybody.
2: Well, let's not forget that this curriculum was taught up to 2015, 2016. So I mean, yes, it was originally put in place in, in the late 90s, but you know, it wasn't as if it's it's a 20 year old you know phenomena. It's not. It was it was taught up until just a very few years ago. Um, I, I think here, well, first of all, why why is a union talking about the curriculum? Uh, I'm sorry, that's not a union's job. And, I mean, we've all suspected for years. Well, they're it saying it's years.
1: compromising their teacher's, uh, what was the word he actually used, uh, inclusivity. And their uh, ability to teach in an equitable, diverse way.
2: Yeah. Well, we all know that no, no unions like the Ford government because they were, you know, they they were loaded with goodies for years from the liberals, and at the expense of the rest of us, naturally. Uh, and so they're going to find any bone to pick with this government, no matter what it happens to be. But it, se- it seems for a long time now that the unions have been running our public school system in this province. Uh, and I, I see a very, very big problem with that. Their interests do not coincide with that of the general public. And uh, this whole this whole business, and I hope Ernie's right in terms of this not getting you know getting thrown out. But yeah, some of the court decisions are pretty wacky these days, so you you certainly can't take that for granted.
3: Well, I, I would argue it's political theater. I mean, you have a, a union that's raising money uh, from its members. It's got to spend it on something. <laughs> and they've got <laughs> I mean, they piles have, of money. They haven't been going on strike, as you know, under mm. the Liberals. And even the Liberal government paid for their pizza during their negotiations. Yeah. So, <laughs> no you know, pizza days. <laughs> so it's, uh, like, I mean, uh, Ernie's absolutely correct. The government has a right to, you know, set the curriculum. And I think that the courts will be very reluctant to interfere in a government's process of reviewing legislation and bringing forward new legislation. The final legislation, if it contains anything that, again, uh, violates the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, that's a different issue.
2: Yeah, and it's not even. We don't even know what's going to be done yet. We haven't even seen what the ultimate, you know, end game of the of the sex ed curriculum right. is. But this also, you know, how many of these groups? They we also we already know our court processes are backed up and everything else, and valuable court resources get used that we taxpayers all pay for by these political tilting at windmill type of cases, and that I find that appalling
1: as well. But you see, that's the whole point. The takeaway in simplistic terms is there are some who believe that the courts are uh, really. The avenue of redress or going uh, ahead with your own point of view to advocate. And others understand it's the legislatures that are duly elected. It's a check and balance,
3: right? So, I mean, I don't object to the, you know, folks going and using the courts. Uh, You know, I I understand Catherine's point. Uh, But it is a process, and and my my argument is that they're going to lose. Uh, I would say that common sense should tell them that it doesn't help the union politically to stand up and do this. Uh, It would be much better for them to wait and see what actually comes out.
2: Yeah, but they don't care about that, though, because they get their money— they get their money whether they win or not that's not the point we have forced union dues in this country so you know the union has there's no there's no downside for the union they can be you know tilting at their windmill and uh, there's no downside for them the money keeps flowing in whether teachers like what they're doing or not
3: well i mean the one downside i would argue is that i mean i know a lot of teachers and there's some of them are the more conservative people I've met. And and the further disenchant or further away you are from your base, the harder it is to actually represent them. And so unions have to be careful about that, the union leadership in particular.
1: Well, you know, it's kind of ironic because if the courts uh, really are the uh, avenue to uh, address certain things, then you've got a case out west with this uh, LNG, the pipeline that's being built from Dawson's Creek to Kitimat and uh, 14 protesters were arrested on Monday by the RCMP. The B.C. Supreme Court had uh, put forth an injunction saying, you've got to keep this access road for the company developing the pipeline open. And they put trees across the road and lit fires and everything like that. So when the RCMP removes them, Suddenly, it spawned all kinds of protests across the country. Uh, David Suzuki was out there in front of the B.C. Supreme Court in downtown Vancouver on uh, Monday, I guess, or maybe it was yesterday. Meantime, here in Toronto tonight, along the Danforth, there were people protesting going to the music hall. Yesterday, they went from Nathan Phillips Square right to Dundas Square. Same group saying, you know, kill the pipeline. Uh, These are Native people whose concerns must be taken into account. How do you square this circle? Because you've even got native bands who have signed on to this agreement with the LNG project, and they're saying it's to our betterment, bring our communities out of
0: poverty. I, I believe that all, I believe I'm correct in saying that all 20 elected Indigenous First Nations in BC voted in favor of this. I think the issue is, as I see it, I'm not in British Columbia and I'm not up to date on all the facts, is that some of these positions are hereditary in certain First Nations. Right, right, And so they are the ones that are creating a problem right now. Look, it, it's always been thus, as I've said on this program before. If we're back in Sir John A. McDonald's day, the National Railroad would never get built because there'd always be somebody complaining about something. You can't take it over this stream. You can't do that. You can't do this. Look, it, I'm a lover of nature as much as anybody is, but... There are certain things that we need as a society, and I think this is one of them.
3: But so here, there's an important point that comes out of this whole story: is that <clears throat> when the the Trans uh, a pipeline to take oil to the to the uh, the Tidewater out in B.C. was shut down by the courts, people were cheering and saying, "Awesome, right? It, you have to follow the law; you can't do this." Well, the just the courts have said this road has to be kept open. Where are all the protesters saying, "Hey, you have to follow the law"? You know why they're not? They don't want any pipelines built at all. Right. And this is the thing that Trudeau today, uh, you know, said it's unfortunate that these people got arrested, but he actually seems to be recognizing that this uh, this suck and blow that he's been doing for for years where he's, you know, green, 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 but I'd like to build pipelines too, it's catching up to him. And uh, I think that you'll see, uh, I hope that you'll see the liberals actually become a little bit more aggressive on these issues and getting things done because- I'm telling you, they're going to lose the next election. I spent the past week talking to people from the West. They are not happy. Manitoba, Saskatchewan, Alberta. There is a huge movement growing out there, and and we in central Ontario need to be aware that folks feel really hard done by because we're losing $80 billion a year in revenue. Jobs, jobs, jobs disappearing. Families can't pay their mortgages. And people in Ontario and around the Liberal Party in, in Ottawa are virtue signaling. Uh, as if that's somehow going to put food on a table. Well... Um.
2: Also, we've got U.S. money coming in backing some of these indigenous groups. Well, interesting because they want the uh, Canadian industry to be screwed because they gain big time when they are. Well, some of these protests
1: were taking place outside of the Canadian embassies and consulates in the United States yesterday.
2: So, uh, you know, first of all, our governments have enabled this. They've enabled it. Trudeau and a whole bunch of them have enabled it. They've empowered these groups to believe they have the right to mess up any project, any time, anyhow, and uh, and so you almost can't blame them. Because they've been encouraged. Remember, remember that whole concept of social license. If we put in, you know, in place all these checks and balances and everything, then we'll get those built. Well, what a what a bunch of
1: malarkey that turned out to be. Well, the natives are saying it's, this is a betrayal of reconciliation. Oh, the well, activists.
2: everything's going to be. And they, they talked about that U, UN declaration, which actually gives indigenous groups a veto. If you if you took it by the letter of it, which you know nobody's going to because it's so insane to do that, but. There were ministers in, in Trudeau's cabinet that initially, then they realized they had to back off because it was so extreme, but they said initially, oh yes, we're going to follow that U.S. Declaration of the Rights of Indigenous People. So, you know, this, this is the end game that we've been asking for, in a way, from our governments because they're encouraging these groups to do what they want, and now it has gotten, like you say, John, to, to the... You know the, the the turning point where mm-hmm. nothing seems to ever going to be get built. It's irreconcilable. And it's it's exactly so somebody's got to step up to the plate here. It's, it's up to our governments. Well, John, you, in here you've got a, you know you've got a court decision as you said, John. Well, you know that said you got to keep this way this way clear.
1: I know. Well, my heart skipped a beat when John said he'd been talking to people out West and Trudeau's going to lose. Wait till till the carbon tax kicks in in April. That's going to be a double whammy. I mean, and uh, perhaps a recession to follow and all these bankruptcies. It's all doom and gloom. Uh, How does a guy go out on the uh, campaign trail and try to convince people he deserves a second go-round. We certainly have another go-round in a moment. We'll come back. uh, More of our panel here, our our roundtable discussion with Ernie Eves, John Turley-Eward, and Catherine Swift on The Oakley Show, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Thanks for listening to The John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio.